This Shabbat, we finished the book of Leviticus with the Torah portion, B'chukotai. And many biblical scholars argue that the book of Leviticus, is taken, if taken on its own, is modeled after an ancient Near Eastern vassal treaty. The Lord, God, makes an agreement with his people, the Israelites, with clearly outlined terms of a contract. And these treaties typically concluded with a list of the costs of non-compliance. It may sound familiar to the lawyers in the sanctuary. It clearly lays out the terms of what happens if there is not compliance. And Leviticus is no different. The last section of this week's Torah portion is traditionally referred to as the tochacha, as the rebuke. And it contains a litany of progressively severe consequences should the Israelites fail to obey the terms of the covenant, of the covenant at Sinai. The land will dry up, the animals will die, the people will be scattered among the nations, etc. It's not always that pleasant to read. But there is an old custom, in fact, that during the public reading of this section of Bahukotai, the Torah reader should lower their voice so that it's just loud enough that you can hear it, that you fulfill the mitzvah of reading the Torah, but chant it quickly and without pauses so that you don't savor or enjoy the words. The only other time that we traditionally do that quiet, speedy chanting occurs in Deuteronomy, when the second version, the repetition of the tochacha, of the rebuke, comes at the end of the Torah. When I reread the chapter this year, I was particularly struck by one of the last verses. As for those of you who survive, I will cast a faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. Fleeing as though from the sword, they shall fall though none pursues them. It sounded like such a psychological threat rereading it. It's not just that they will be hungry or homeless, but they will be fundamentally scared. So faint of heart that not just a driven leaf, but even the sound of a driven leaf will send them running. And they will keep running even after their enemy stops pursuing them. When I searched a Hebrew concordance, I found that there is only one other time in the Hebrew Bible that the phrase ale nidaf, a driven leaf, appears. And it's in Job 13 when Job pleads to God, why do you hide your face and count me your enemy? Would you harry a driven leaf and chase a dry straw? Some may recognize this line. It was made famous by the novel As a Driven Leaf by Rabbi Milton Steinberg. He was a congregational rabbi at Park Avenue Synagogue in New York, and he wrote it in his spare time in 1939, using rabbinic sources to imagine the life of Elisha ben Abuya, a second century rabbi who struggled to reconcile rabbinic Judaism with Greek Hellenistic society and who the Talmud ultimately labels as an apostate. If you, if you keep looking, 
and you search just for the word aleh, just for the word leaf, you find seven other references in the Hebrew Bible. The first is in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve make clothes for themselves out of fig leaves when they realize they are naked. The second is in Genesis 8, when Noah sends an, a dove to look and he brings back an olive leaf in his beak and no one knows that there is dry land ahead. And the five other are all the same reference in the later prophets in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that the Israelites, if they disobey God, will wither and fade like a dying leaf. When you read these references in other parts of the Tanakh, Bregman, who's a, a well-known biblical scholar, argues that while they're written in the future tense as threats, if you don't do this, this will happen to you, they should really be understood as descriptions of tragedies that have already befallen the community. That they actually reflect what happened over 2,000 years ago with the destruction of the temple. They are so detailed, they're so raw in their language because they already happened. The authors really lived the trauma of the exile and that's why they can describe it so graphically. It's as if we wrote what would happen if we didn't pay attention to our borders or if we didn't pay attention to our terrorist threats after the fact of 9-11, but as if we were threatening that this would happen in 2000 or 2001, right before it happened. So all that brings us back to verse 26. I'm gonna read it to you again. As for those of you who survive, I will cast a faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. Fleeing as though from the sword, they shall fall though none pursues. If you imagine this critical lens now, a driven leaf becomes less of a creative curse and more of a self-understanding of the Jewish experience. It becomes a powerful metaphor for the Jewish people, an unrooted, vulnerable, single entity that goes wherever the wind blows it, a symbol of the changing seasons, a symbol of the cycle of birth to death. It reminds me of a story by Bernard Malamud called The Jew Bird. His parable begins, the window was open so the skinny bird flew in, flappity flap with its frazzled black wings. That's how it goes. It's open, you're in, closed, you're out, and that's your fate. Jewish metaphors, Jewish literature, have these similar images from nature to describe the Jewish refugee. A frazzled, skinny bird, a faded, fallen leaf, both being pushed around their future out of their control. And when I think of this metaphor, it also feels powerful to me for the lives of many in San Francisco today. I hear so many of our younger congregants in particular expressing a sense of transience in their lives. Everyone blowing in and out of the city, not knowing whether they are going to really stay and make this their home, or if this is just another stop along a series of different jobs, cities, and relationships. 
I also hear that in a more spiritual sense of impermanence from our community, a feeling of dissatisfaction, of antsiness, a lack of connection, even a sense of alienation, like a driven leaf. Ultimately, Torah is more, pro, is more poetry than po prose. Its power is in its many metaphors. Just as we read about a driven leaf this week, our texts also focus on the image of a tree. We say the words from Proverbs at the end of every Torah service, It is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it. The rabbis understand that the tree of life is meant to be Torah itself. That while the temple was destroyed and everyone was exiled, the Torah, its actual teachings and also its wisdom, went with the Jewish people wherever they were around the world and it gave them strength. We also read in Jeremiah 29, thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all in captivity, whom I have caused to be carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat fruit of them. This lesson that rings true throughout our diasporic existence, that no matter where we have been carried away, we should plant trees and make it our home. So on this Shabbat, I hold these two powerful metaphors in the Jewish tradition and in our texts. On the one hand, a driven leaf, something that can be both literal in our history and also very spiritual in our modern lives today in the 21st century, but also an Eitz Chaim, a tree of life and the garden that we plant wherever we go and make it our home. So my prayer for us on this Shabbat is that we recognize how our people and even parts of ourselves feel like a driven leaf, unrooted, being blown this way and that. But that we also pray that our Jewish community is the Eitz Chaim, is the tree of life that we hold on to. That whether our families have been here for generations or we just moved here last month and don't know how long we will stay, to together we pray that we lay down roots, that we make this our Jewish home, that we feel a sense of permanence, that we feel that we're in control of our fate and our destiny, and that we let those trees bloom with leaves that are beautiful and green and may wrestle in the wind, but are very secure on their branches. Shabbat Shalom.